Welcome back, everyone, to the Reflex Blue Show. I'm your host, Donovan Beery, recording once again live from the Heinz Convention Center here in Boston, Massachusetts at How Design Live. And I have with me Dan Radigan from Adobe. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Thank you. Dan, now you, you lead the Adobe, you said, internal type team? Yeah, it's part of Adobe Typekit. We have a, a team that has been part of Adobe for about 30 years. We're the group that actually produces and releases original typefaces at Adobe. So the group that made like Myriad and Minion and Trajan and all of those classics that have been circulating for years. Because we always forget, you know, we think Adobe, we automatically think Photoshop. But yeah. but like the first Adobe was like, was true type. I mean, that was one of their first breakthrough things. Like they yeah, had the, a type for before type, they were Type was one of the core, was one of the core th products at Adobe. Adobe really started around the idea of um, PostScript, which is a you know, page description language. And it was kind of a simple, a simple fact to get to the point of like, oh, well, if you're going to try to perfect a page description for layout, what goes on a page? Well, typefaces go on a page. I've heard. I've so heard the technology, the technology behind digital typography has been a, a big part of Adobe since the earliest days. And, and obviously now with, with the Creative Cloud, you, you basically get Typekit. Did that like all of a sudden change like how many users you guys were, were supporting? Because because all of a sudden everybody with their subscription just had access to it rather than having to pay pay extra. Well, when what Typekit really changed for the Creative Cloud was it made so many more fonts available to users, and when it became part of the subscription, it really like the the idea was that it would improve engagement of the users. You know, they could sort of stay within the Adobe ecosystem um, and just get onto their creative work without having to get distracted and going out elsewhere to look for fonts. You could sort of have this sort of tightly connected experience. What was great about Typekit is that it brought all of these external type foundries and their fonts into this palette of options for users, which is great. What was really interesting for the type team at Adobe, though, is that all of those additional typefaces meant that the type team no longer had the sort of mandate to be the group that made typefaces for Adobe customers. Um, oh. Because they could get typefaces from all over. This better selection was amazing for the users. But it freed up the type team to do a little bit more of a focus on um, exploration. You know, we, so we concentrate now on trying to sort of do very ambitious, focused, whether it be experiments or very ambitious things. Like we just did a re-release of Minion 3 that expanded the language coverage for that typeface and refined the design. And we've been doing a lot of projects in the source family, like Source Sans, Source Serif, and particularly uh, the Source Han fonts, which cover East Asian languages. Um, so we can do like things that are a little bit more about pushing boundaries because there's lots of things to meet everyday user needs. So we're almost a little bit more like an internal R&D unit for typography now. Yeah, and, and like how, how long have you been with the Adobe Type team? I've been with Adobe just about a year and a half. The, the folks on the team were grumbling a little bit when I joined um, because I brought down the average tenure of the team by about 10 years. <laughs> but my, my predecessor, David Lemon, worked at Adobe for 30 years. Robert Slimbach, our principal type designer, has worked there for 30 years. Um, I have a group of people on the team now who are celebrating their 20 and 25-year anniversaries. Um, so I'm really like, I'm the new kid. Um, my experience is just outside of Adobe. Yeah, and you'll, and you'll be, probably be the new kid for quite a while. Yeah, quite a while. 
But I assume that you guys are still like the team is still like making original typefaces or or at least adjusting them. Like you said, Minions got the third. Yeah, so Minion three was just released um, last year. Um, Two thousand. So throw out the rest. Throw out the old ones. They're, they're done. <laughs> well, they're done. well, I mean the the old Minion isn't going to go away. It's been a default typeface in in the Creative Cloud products for so long. Uh, Minion three just adds a little bit more capabilities, but it doesn't really supplant Minion exactly. Um, so we're just sort of broadening the scope of what it can do, but we um, like, like what do you mean? What more can it do? Than, than well, say for instance, so so Minion Three has additional language coverage. So it has it's it's uh, Adobe's first Armenian typeface. So you can set our you know the Armenian languages in addition to Cyrillic-based languages and Latin-based languages. Um, we added a whole chunk of glyph coverage for the International Phonetic Alphabet, um, which is good for both linguistic texts as well as um, a lot of the sort of extended alphabet used by a lot of uh, languages in Africa. So Minion is becoming sort of slowly a more and more comprehensive design, but um, Robert Slimbach, the designer, also wanted to rework the designs for how Minion looks at different sizes. So he kind of re refined little bits of the design based on all the years of experience he's had working on other typeface projects. Yeah, because because I mean I, I assume that also technology makes that a little bit different. What you're talking about, but how many typefaces does does Adobe? Now you said you're acquiring typefaces. Like I noticed that I think it was last year we were doing our holiday card, mm -hmm. and um, you you there there were Hamilton wood type mm -hmm. typefaces in there from the Hamilton wood wood type mm -hmm. museum, and and so. You've obviously acquired some yeah. different typefaces or sourced them, but how many does like Adobe still produce? You guys are still producing yeah. original. Yeah, original well, type I mean, type, Typekit doesn't acquire typefaces. They make relationships with other type foundries, and they're sort of distributed through Typekit. I mean, the Hamilton stuff works like that. But the Adobe Originals, um, which is what my team works on, we have, we typically will put out you know a couple of families a year because these are long baking ambitious projects but we had a pretty big year last year because um, the source han serif project which had been in development for three or four years finally uh, came to fruition um, a couple of other uh, designs by robert slimbach uh, like pelago for instance came out um, we also started producing um, uh, variable font versions of our some of our families so all in all, between sort of the technological enhancements of existing designs and the new designs, we came out with about 12 new families last year. Oh, wow. This year, it's going to be a little bit slower. We're regrouping and starting some newer projects. Um, it's a small team, but they're doing, they're doing some pretty sophisticated work. Yeah, because it's not just, just one typeface. It's, it is the whole family. You've got many weights. Many, many different styles. Exactly. I mean, Minion, for instance, alone is a, a 36 style family. And so these things, the, there's, a, there's a feature creep to working on typefaces these days because, you know, once, you, once you've established that you can do, say, Greek and Cyrillic or real small caps or optical sizes, it's hard to not keep doing that. So you raise the bar slightly on every project. Which increases the scope of the work. So yeah, like I think I think the last time I talked to someone who did type, that was it three hundred characters was in a typeface. How many is it if you start adding in all these other ones? Like well, like like on the last one where you said you, you added in the different language supports. How many characters are oh with, with the extra glyphs think, are we talking? I about? think Minion is somewhere in the range of twelve hundred, but Source Han Serif, which uh, covers Japanese. 
Korean, traditional Chinese, and uh, contemporary Chinese, maxed out the OpenType format. So the Source Han Serif project, like Source Han Sans, has over 65,000 characters in it. Oh, is, is that with all the weights too? No, that? that that is per weight. Per but weight. It's just it's because of the sheer the large character sets of of the Asian languages. Um, so, but they but it's a project that specifically maxes out the uh, the glyph limit of the OpenType font format for each weight. So the I think the oh, uh, Ken Lundy on my team will scold me for getting the exact figure, but once you factor in the seven weights that we produce, say for Source on Serif, um, we get into like a few million characters in the family. I assume I assume that, that that you can there's some sort of computerized part to change weights on on these a little bit, and they're not all completely done by hand. Or am I wrong on this? Um, no, generally the way um, the way not just the type designers at Adobe, but most type designers work these days builds builds off of kind of a you know interpolation math. So you draw one end, you know what the design looks like at one end like the light end or the skinny end, um, or you draw the heavy end or the wide end. Maybe you draw something in the middle to control the design, but you draw what we call poles of a design space and then use the technology to like just figure out the places in between and they're calculating the differences between the shapes. This was the, the fundamental technology behind Adobe's multiple masters, which they developed back in the early 90s. Although multiple master fonts sort of disappeared from the landscape for customers after a few years. It became the fundamental idea that type designers used to be able to produce these large families without drawing every character and every weight individually. Yeah, because that, that that seems like, like we're talking 36, you said 36 sets of minion. Yeah. And I mean, well, or, or maybe that's why it, I was just wondering, like, well, why not 37? But we'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> okay, we're going to be right back with, with Dan Radigan. Yeah. So Dan, what are you talking about at the uh, here here at the How Conference? You said you're talking about the future. Yeah, the you know that I'm talking about the importance of text in contemporary graphic design, sort of the flexibility that you get of working with text as a core element. Because I'm and I mean text in the sense of the underlying information, like the words that can be copied, um, made accessible for people with vision impairments using fonts, using typography, which allows you to represent text visually, becomes a really flexible way of adding personality to the, just the underlying usefulness of text. Um, but I think that we're looking at an era now where um, more and more people are realizing that font technology hasn't changed much in 20 years since OpenType was released. Has, has OpenType been around 20 years now? Yes, it has. Wow, and I think I think if I remember right, years ago I heard you know software has like a ten year lifespan most of the time. Exactly, and it's it's amazing. I mean, we still get we still see support questions come in from people who are using old Type One fonts, which uh, um, which is amazing that people are still getting like use at twenty five year old software products. But yeah, OpenType has been the standard for twenty years now. Even the introduction of web fonts during the last decade is more a matter of delivery of the existing font formats. But in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of work 
looking into like, well, what you, can you do with a font file format? It can behave more like software. It can deliver more sophisticated stuff. So I'm giving a talk that looks a little bit about uh, the work that's been happening around color fonts, uh, which is the OpenType SVG format in particular that allows you to have like multicolor artwork on top of the underlying letter shapes oh. and font. Um, and that was driven by the interest in emoji, obviously, because people wanted to like deliver emoji so users could, uh, could uh, work with them on all their devices. But it allows you to do a lot of really, really great visual effects with regular fonts so people don't have to necessarily produce them as static artwork. Yeah, I think I've seen like like years ago, when when you had like two or three colors that people wanted to use, there there would, there would always be some font where it's like this is the top half of it, and there's another font where it's the bottom half of the font, and then you type them over the top of each other instead exactly. of as different colors. But how much greater to be able to just type a line of text and have it be right. multicolored graphics or transparent graphics or graphics with gradients. And that's really flexible. It adds a lot of visual impact to what you can do with a single font. But I think even um, the greater potential than OpenType SVG is technology uh, known as variable fonts, or um, OpenType font variations is the formal name. But this is a way of repackaging all of that interpolated font data that I was talking about earlier. Um, where you deliver the entire design space of a font family in a single font package. Variable fonts basically are a set of font outlines with just the instructions for how you produce those other weights or other widths or other styles based on their shapes. It strips out all the redundant information that you get from having all those as separate fonts. So uh, you can deliver a family like um, Acumen, for instance, uh, is uh, family we um, produced at Adobe a couple of years ago. Acumen is a 90 weight family um, because it's got widths. Not like that slacker minion. Yeah, exactly. Min Minion's small fries by comparison. But Acumen has multiple widths, it has multiple weights, it has italics, but those can all interpolate and be linked together. So we can package Acumen as a single font file, which is about 20% the size of the whole family which means that you can deliver a single font file to say a web page yeah, and let people access all of those weights with a single deliverable rather than having to choose like which three or four are the most efficient to deliver. Right, because right now when I go to type it, I've embedded, I've, I've used it, it's one of the, 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 the things I've used to for fonts on web yeah. is you always have to choose and it always tells you like this is how big the file is going to get and then you start to get worried and then like, okay, we can't use all these weights or we don't want to because it's load time. And exactly. And the, the efficiency of delivering um, variable fonts on the web is why it's been a collaborative effort between Adobe, Apple, Microsoft, Google, as well as a number of independent type foundries. There's so much potential in variable fonts as a delivery mechanism that you know, uh, especially delivering to mobile devices, delivering fonts for those huge Asian families, um, that there's just these practical benefits. But what's even more exciting in, to, I think, a lot of users is the fact that when you get that entire design space, it doesn't mean you just get all of the fonts you'd see in the menu, but it means you can tune and mix and match the styles to exactly what you want in all the in-between spaces. So you're not getting 90 fonts in a single package, 
but maybe you're getting 3,000 fonts in a single package and allowing the user to control exactly how heavy they want it to be or exactly how wide they want it to be. Um, so I'm going to be showing a few demos about that and showing a few use cases about like why it's important for designers to be able to have that kind of control. It's not just for the novelty, but um, it can really enhance a lot of very, very specific typography. No, that sounds, that sounds wonderful. I look forward to seeing that. Well, we're going to be right back with, uh, with Dan Radigan from the Adobe Type team. Dan, I've, I've been doing websites for decades now, yeah. which is weird to even think about. Weird <laughs> to even think about. And, and I know that, like back in the day, it was when, when, you, when the client would say, what, uh, what type do you want? You'd say, well, you're going to get Arial or Times. That, that's what you're going to get. Yeah. And then it became that, ooh, there's these new fonts like Georgia because Microsoft dumped it on every one of, the, every one of their computers. So it was all of a sudden supported and you can use Verdana. So all of a sudden you're like, we're up to like eight or 12 fonts that you can have. And now, you know, now that you can embed them, there's just, there's many places. There's Typekit, there's, you know, every, every boundary seems to have their own, as well as I, I assume there's ways to, other ways you can put them on there. With every with every iteration of web, it's never been immediate. Mm -hmm. Like it took a while for the browser to support it. Yeah, that's that's been the ongoing challenge. So you have this thing where I'm going to be able to change the exact width of my type, which I assume isn't something that's going to be for every typeface, and probably isn't appropriate for every typeface. But certainly not. How long does it take for the software to support this? I assume that with Adobe, you guys can, you know, work with it, and if, if you're on the cloud base, you know, just thrown out there in three hours, but... Uh, you would think so, but that's exactly not the, the way it is. I think that what we're changing about the font technology reaches deep down into the software stack of, you know, and it, it affects the way the operating systems assume fonts will work, the way browsers assume fonts will work, uh, the way um, desktop applications assume they'll work. Redoing all of those mechanisms takes a lot of time. And I um, assume that's why Microsoft and Apple are both also involved with this. Exactly. But what's interesting about this shift that we're talking about with the color fonts and with the variable fonts is that the web browsers are actually where the interesting work is happening. The web browsers, for the most part, all the, the updated versions of the most prominent web browsers support variable fonts. Sadly, only Firefox supports uh, OpenType SVG at the moment. But it's great because variable fonts, which can be manipulated pretty easily with CSS controls, can be used in browsers. Desktop applications are still um, catching up. But it means that everyday users who can tinker with a website can play with variable fonts now. And unlike other technology developments, they can influence what happens with the desktop apps because they can start they can start hacking away with the fonts and web browsers on web pages now and figure out what they want to do. How do they want to control type that has all of these possibilities? And I think that's exciting. And I would like to see people experiment with these fonts on the web and do a better job of shaping what the desktop applications will make possible for them when they catch up. Yeah, that's, that that'll be interesting. And what and I gotta ask, we're gonna we're gonna go back, way back in time. Sure. At least at least three or four years. What what got you into type design? 
it, it, this, I mean, design's great. I love it, but it's it's a it's a broad industry, and and type design is is a, is a very small niche. It's not like it sure is. Like like they wouldn't there wouldn't be a conference of three thousand just type designers. No, because, we, our our conferences max out at about five or six hundred. Yeah, <laughs> but so what what got you into the into that, and, and where do you go to to get into that? Because like in Nebraska, I mean, there's not there's not a there's no degrees in it there. Well, I, I always was interested in typography. It was the part of graphic design that I liked the most. And ironically, I went into type design because I really did not want to end up being a web designer. <laughs> I, was in a, I was in a position at the time that, you know, being, I was pretty technically savvy, so I was, I was constantly being asked to work on websites, and I saw this sort of slippery slope that I didn't want to go down in technology development. Um, so I went off to um, England, to the University of Reading, to do an MA in typeface design. This is back when there were, you know, maybe three places to study type design full-time. There's a, there's a few more now. But I really wanted to focus on this interest that I had in type and typefaces. The cruel irony, of course, is that a couple years after I did that, web fonts happened, and the practice of typeface design reoriented around the web and around screens very, very rapidly. Mm. So I just got sucked right back into it. The web was always coming after you, and there's nothing it you sure could do. Sure was. And now, look at me. Now, the, now the web is is my salvation. It's being the place uh, to better promote the kinds of fonts that we're working on, and also the way to better get out the types of fonts. Absolutely. But what what are the what are the type conferences? TypeCon, which is sort of North American based, is a big one. Uh, A-Type-I, which is the Alliance Typographique Internationale, I think was my butchered French pronunciation. Um, that's more uh, more of an international type conference that happens every year. Uh, there's uh, Typographics in New York City, which has been uh, going on for the last few years, which is an up-and-comer. That's really a lot of fun. There's the Kerning Conference in Faenza, Italy. There's the Ampersand, the WebFont Conference uh, in Brighton. It's kind of it's kind of great if you're a full-time type person that there's a very active international conference circuit to keep keep things lively. No, there's so there's more than, and we'll have, we'll wrap this up by asking one more thing. Like, if, if you're a young designer or student that's looking to get into type design, what what advice do you have for what do you, what advice do you have? Um, start drawing. I mean, there's, there are great desktop packages for working on fonts. There's Glyphs, there is uh, Robofont, um, Font Lab, which had been the industry standard for many years, has kind of come roaring back after a few years of inactivity. So there's software that you can use to start drawing. Um, I mean, thanks to the web and thanks to you know, people kind of like, there being a fairly tight-knit community of type designers, um, it's really easy to find out more about how to do it. Um, type Thursdays is an organization that has chapters popping up in different cities where people who are dipping their toes in the water of type design get together and talk about it. Because a lot of people do this not as their full thing, but they really like it. And they, Absolutely. They do it. Yeah. I think there's probably only a few hundred people who do it full time, but there's thousands of people working on typefaces on their own which is great. It means there's so much more variety, a whole like, multiplicity of ideas um, all over the world, which is cool. And you know, there's levels to get into it. You can tinker on your own fonts, and you can share them with people. You can make them available on the web. You people who are starting their own foundries, all up in, to the level of people who can go off to graduate school and study it full-time or manage to work their way into a full-time type design job. 
Okay, well, Dan, we thank you very much for your time. I think we forgot to mention, I believe it's just adobe.com or... Uh, typekit.com is, typekit. is, is where our home is. Okay, you just, you just bypass the, the, you know, go straight in the uh, side door at There's adobe.com slash fonts, um, but that's a little bit more about a sort of like generic product info. But Typekit is our real playground for seeing what's available for the Creative Cloud users. And do you have to have the Creative Cloud to use Typekit, or is it, or is it something that can be added separately? I don't. I, don't, I mean, I just had the Creative Cloud, so I just, I just don't. Know. You get you get Typekit with a paid Creative Cloud subscription. Uh, there are also a few different plans that can give you um, uh, standalone access. There's a, there's, a, there's, there's a few different ways to get at the fonts. And we have um, what we call our the Typekit Marketplace, which allows you to purchase, uh, purchase your own licenses, whether or not you have a paid subscription. And those follow you around as long as you maintain an Adobe ID. Okay, and, and the, Adobe, the Adobe ID is, that part's free. Yes, yeah, even if, uh, if you just have an Adobe ID and are not a paid uh, Creative Cloud subscriber, um, there's still a whole tier of fonts on Typekit that's available to you. Okay, yeah, I just I just never knew because I'm like well, I, every time I go to Adobe, I'm already signed in. It doesn't matter. I'm always talking to people who are like really excited to discover that they have Typekit already, uh, <laughs> and they just weren't aware of it. It's like it's like getting you know a bonus Christmas. Yeah, that was that was the, I think that was the most the most pleasant surprise of having to move to the cloud was that it was just there. And I think we're working on a website. It's like oh. Let's try this out, and then and then and then it's it's I like it, so it's been good. Well, that's what we we want folks to like it. We want folks to use all this typeface. All right. Well, thanks, Dan, and uh, we'll, we'll hopefully catch you on the next one of these. All right. Very good. Thank you. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Beery is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dustlab. Find out more at myspace.com/dustlab.